Whoa. Thought you were falling off your seat. I surprised Bob. <laughs> a little giddy up today you got a little giddy or a little kitty giddy up oh giddy up go my whole peripheral has been messing with me lately i'm sorry thank you you know what the root cause of it is i have no idea (sighs) here we are folks it's post july 4th and I had a really exciting thing happen on July 2nd. It was scary uh, for about 48 hours, but then it got very cool. So my daughter, and I'm allowed to officially announce this now, which is great. Uh, my daughter had her first child on July 2nd, 2019. So this little booger came into town with my daughter from California. They reside at 29 Palms Military Base currently. And my son-in-law is in officer school to be a a Marine officer, which is exciting times. And at the same time, this little guy came to Rochester, met his family through the baby showers and and met all his family that hasn't seen because he's been in California. And our family is all entirely here in Rochester, New York. And he got so excited that he pushed this labor through over the course of four days and said, I'm coming out whether you guys like it or not. So six weeks early, we have officially... Oliver James Martins added to our family. So so here it is, four pounds, eight ounces he was at birth. He's now around four pounds, but we just pulled him off the, they just pulled him off the incubator last night, and now he's got his own crib, and, and he's taking food from mom. So, so we are excited. He's a week old right now, and this is my first grandchild at 47 years old. I cannot wait, and I did not realize how much this really personally was going to affect me. So... Uh, to all of you, I just had to be that excited and let everybody know that I now am a grandfather. Another title to my arsenal. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. And as I've been telling you guys all that information, we have a guest on the line. I'm really excited because the reason why I wanted to have him on originally is because my son-in-law loves magic. So Anna DeRosa, who is our wonderful partner in social media and helps with getting guests, says, I have a friend, Dr. Vince Mancuso, Brian, that you should meet. He is thinking about doing a magic business. Plus, he's a teacher named like 10 things. So I'm going to do a little brief intro right here. So with us today from Rochester, New York, we have Vince Mancuso, who has been a middle school science teacher for 20 years, and he has been extensive research on discrepant event phenomenon in the science classroom. And I'm going to let him talk more about it, but he's an author and he's also a magician and I believe he's starting a little magic company up. So I want to welcome, enough of me talking, it's been enough, I apologize. So let's welcome Dr. Vince Mancuso to the show. Thanks very much, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you for the invite and I'm excited to talk. That was quite an intro, by the way. (laughs) Well, that's good. I I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm often... (laughs) often impressed by people in science because I don't think science is, has a big enough role in our society. So you as a middle school teacher, uh, that, that what grade level do you, have you been teaching at, sir? I teach seventh grade. And you're certified what? Sixth, seventh, eighth grade. How does that work with, with your teacher? Uh, I'm certified for six twelve. I'm sorry, seven twelve. So I can teach grades seven through 12. Um, but I have always been a seventh grade science teacher since I began teaching, since my career began. Has this been a calling since birth? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, you know, I, I never really knew where I was going to land when I got my teaching certification. I always envisioned myself as a high school teacher, but once I got into the middle school, I just loved the age group so much. I knew immediately that's where I wanted to be. And, uh, and that's where I've been ever since. So it's been a great experience. So I'm trying to think of this celebrity that you most resemble. Has anybody told you that you're a certain celebrity or, or, or compared to anybody pre- previously? No. Who, who are you going to tell me? I can't wait to hear this. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Bob, Bob have you, you come up with an opinion yet? I'm trying to describe him to people. I, I'm assuming, are you about, well, how, how tall are you, sir, and how old are you? Uh, I am 57 and probably about 5'11". All right. All right. So now we got the picture, uh, slightly gray hair. Are you a grandfather or a father at all, sir? Uh, I am father of two, not a grandfather yet. Um, I have grand dogs and I have grand, grand kittens. <laughs> I, have a, I have a couple of each, so, but no grandchildren yet. I, I have uh, one uh, daughter who's married and uh, I've been married for a couple of years now, but, but no grandkids yet. So I, I'm waiting and looking forward to it. That's exciting stuff. Are they both here in Rochester yeah. as well? Uh, bu- uh, one in Buffalo and one in Rochester. And by the way, congratulations to you. Oh, thank you. I do appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. This, this is phenomenal. very exciting so. stuff. But you know, grand yeah. dogs is not that far from having a grandkid. I'm sorry. I mean, you're gonna <laughs> when that when that dog passes, you're all gonna cry together. It's gonna be a big event, right. like you know. And he's gonna have the responsibility of watching. It's a, it's a little less responsibility though. So, <laughs> well, I don't know. You gotta yeah. you gotta feed him. The only thing you're missing is you don't change a diaper. <laughs> This is true. This is true. You just got to pick up the poop yeah. in your backyard. That's right. Yeah, I got to clean that up. But uh, but it's all it's all good. Yeah. So did you? Have, you must have had a career before being a middle school teacher. Uh, I did. This is my second career, and uh, I've had an interesting past. I guess some people say so. I um, before I was a teacher, I was a. Let's see how far back I want to go here. Um, out of high school, I went to college, but went to college for drama English. I went to Geneseo, and it was a double major for drama English. I did that because I really wanted to pursue um, the magic, the entertainment field, and uh, left after a year and moved to Vegas and lived in Vegas for a bit, uh, was married at the time, got married and moved to Vegas and um, lived in Vegas for a bit and eventually wanted to start a family and uh, moved back to do that because I'm originally from Rochester, so was my wife. So we moved back to Rochester to start a family. Um, that's when I started to get into the field of education. Uh, it took me a number of years to do it because I was married at the time. Uh, started having children, so I had a you know responsibility. And uh, so it took me a little bit longer than most. I was, I'm a non-traditional student. Um, took me a number of years to get my degrees, uh, but I knew it's what I wanted to do. So eventually I did get, get the degree. So I have a sort of a non-traditional, um, past and background. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the typical student right out of high school directly into college and then into a career. I took an alternate path. Do you think that helped you with the second stage of your career, of your, of your life path? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, it really, in a, in a couple of different ways. First, um, I really wanted it to follow entertainment. I really wanted to get into that field. I'm really glad that I did follow it because I think that if I hadn't, I would have always wondered what if I did. I, and I would have always, um, 
I don't want to say regretted, but I, because I really don't have any regrets, but I really would have, um, felt like, boy, I should have in some way done that. And, and I, I don't feel that now. I mean, I pursued it. I experienced it. I felt it. I saw it. I lived it. Um, and I had a great time doing it. I learned a lot from it. There were so many lessons to learn, um, in the actual field. And, you know, it's the same thing in the classroom. It's, it, you learn so much more actively doing it than you can sitting in a classroom and learning about it. There, it's, it's just a different learning experience. So I learned much from it. Um, and, and I'm really glad that I did do it. But when I eventually entered into education, um, I was much more committed and because I was older, um, I think I had a, a little more, uh, dedication and I don't mean that with any disrespect. I don't mean to say that younger, younger kids or younger students don't have dedication. What I mean is that because I was older and I had a family and I had children, um, I had, I felt that responsibility and I felt the responsible, um, drive to, to make sure that I was taking care of my family. Um, so it wasn't just me, a single individual, just, you know, like going to school to get an education. It was me getting an education while at the same time providing for a family. And so I really didn't want to, um, I really wanted to make sure that I was, um, driven enough and that I was going to continue the path and finish it. So, um, so it was a different approach, but I'm really glad that I, that I took the path that I did. There was a lot, there were many learning lessons, lots to learn, lots of experience. And I look back on everything that I did, um, knowing that it it all led me to this point. Um, and and if I, you know, I oftentimes wonder, you know, if I hadn't gone through that, where would I be right now? And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, uh, where I am right now. And I only got here because of what I went through. Amen to that, right? You can't take away those experiences. You, you can only learn from right. them and grow from them. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, how can you have any regrets? I mean, um, you are where you are uh, because of because of your experiences in life. That's sort of actually what led me into my, my research field also um, because, you know, your experiences build who you are. And it sounds easy to say, but there's so much science behind that. I mean, you know, the way you approach life, your perspectives, all of that is built by the experiences that you um, ex- that you had in your lifetime, and that's even from infancy all the way up. So, uh, it's an interesting interesting field. Did you enjoy living in Vegas? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Did you enjoy living in Vegas? Isn't that where you said you were before Rochester? Oh, absolutely loved it. Yeah, loved Vegas. Loved the uh, environment. Loved the the scene, the life, um, the climate. Uh, the, the, uh, scenery, I mean, everything about it. I just love Nevada. Uh, Arizona's also, also awesome, but I really love Nevada. Um, and, uh, only came back because as I said, we wanted to start a family and, you know, it, it, we're not, my, my wife and I are not big gamblers at all. So it was easy to live there and not have to worry about, <laughs> you know, going gambling every night and, and losing money. Mm-hmm. So it was easy to live there. But, you know, when most people think of Vegas, they think of just, you know, the the strip and and all the all the nightlife and the and the lights. But there are suburbs and there are families and there are school districts and there are churches. And there are I mean, there are people who live 
in Nevada, in Vegas, and have a, a regular, what you would call a regular normal life. And, and that's what we did. We lived off the strip. We lived in, in, a, in a suburb area, and it, it was wonderful. We, we both loved it. Now, you, Hender, um, Henderson is one of the suburbs there, right? It is, yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I had a friends that moved there and lived up in Henderson, and I really enjoyed. Actually, my favorite time ever in that area was spending the two or three days with them in that suburb. So I'm so glad you described it that way for people. Yeah, yeah, and it really is. I mean, you can't even. You know, it's interesting because we lived, as I said, uh, far off the strip, and if we wanted to, we can drive in for a night and 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 spend a few hours just you know messing around with some slots and having dinner and seeing a show and then just go back home. It's really interesting. You know, it's not, it's not exactly, it's not just living on the strip. That's, you know, when you live in Vegas, it's not that kind of a lifestyle. So were you guys hikers and outdoors people as well? Uh, no, no, I, I am a big outdoor guy. I mean, I love the scenery and I love the, um, you know, in Vegas, it was just awesome because, yeah, the mountains around you. If you wanted to, you could drive a little bit and get to a lake. You could drive a little bit and get to the snow-capped mountain. Um, you can go to the desert. You can go to the bright lights in the city. I mean, you had everything around you. It was really, it was wonderful scenery. And um, the climate was just great. That's my kind of climate. How long were you in were, were you in Vegas, or was there multiple places you lived before you came back to Rochester? Uh, we were out there for a couple of years and actually was in uh, California for a little bit too, right near UCLA um, and uh, was there for a little bit too. So uh, it was a couple of years and uh, I got to do a whole bunch of shows and had, you know, I was in all the casinos, some of which don't even exist anymore because uh, <laughs> so, they were torn down. But, uh, but I, I had, I had just a wonderful time and it, they were great, not only great memories, um, but more importantly, they were great learning experiences that, that really helped me develop where I am today, not only as an educator, but in all the other projects that I have going on, all the other paths that, I'm, that I've gone on to. Mm-hmm. So uh, wonderful experiences in, in every aspect. So did you get your bachelor degree before you went out there or did you get all of your degrees after you got back? No. So I... Um, I left school uh, because I, you know, I was young and I'm going to say a little naive, but <laughs> I was young and I said, I, I can, uh, I really need to get into the field right now. Like I can't sit here in a classroom anymore. I just felt as though I just needed to be there right, right then and there, like in the field of entertainment doing it. So what was your first and, job? Uh, so when I went out to, to Vegas initially, um, I, I, I put myself out there and got my name out there and met some people. I networked and I lined up a few gigs and, um, that's how I just got started. So I started really small and I was doing the, uh, not the big shows in the casinos by any means, but I was doing, uh, the, the, you know, the smaller venues that are in the casino casinos. I was doing those. Um, then I started going around town and doing, uh, bigger, the bigger festivals, and the bigger venues, um, and just built myself up a little bit. Uh, I was never a headliner by any means, but I had fun doing what I was doing. What, what, what instrument did you play? Did you oh, sing? no, no instrument. Magic. Oh, just magic. This all is magic. all magic. Yep. This is all magic. Yep, just being a magician. Yep. Oh, all right, so when did you get the bug for magic? Uh, probably when I was 12. Uh, 11, 12 years old, and uh, I was shown a magic trick by a family friend, 
and that was it. That's all I needed. And it just took off from there. Um, and I, you know, I started doing shows, presenting to people, you know, just to family, friends, learning, reading, you know, at that time there was no internet. So, uh, I just devoured all the books that I could. I went to the library, um, and ordered magic. Uh, there were local magic shops that I learned from, uh, and at the magic shops, there were magicians who you could talk to and learn from. So it was different, different learning experience for, as it is now with the, with the internet. Um, you know, you couldn't really just look up a trick or find a magician very easily. So you had to learn that way. Uh, but I, yeah, I started when I was like 11, 12, um, and all the way up until I, uh, you know, went to Vegas. So it just, and it progressed. So I started with, uh, escapes, believe it or not. I really enjoyed doing escape work. Um, Houdini was sort of an idol and, uh, escapes moved into uh, larger illusions and I ended up, uh, building, a whole bunch of illusions that I use and it's, you know, the big illusions where you cut people and cut girls in half and float people in the air and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got into that, the big kind of stuff. And now um, I have sort of gone full circle and now I am into the close-up stuff. So uh, street magic, money magic, card magic, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, I've sort of experienced the whole gamut. I enjoy it all, but uh, right now I'm into the close-up magic. My mind is just rolling right now, Doc. I can't even tell you. I mean, <laughs> okay. seriously. So, so did you, uh, <laughs> did you meet your wife like at a magic show? Like she came up. Was how did you meet your wife? I, I got to meet her. This no, I, uh, yeah, I met her at. Uh, we worked at a grocery store together. Uh, I met her when I was about sixteen, and uh, and that's the story of that. I mean, we just met uh, there working together and done with her sense so so she knows magic she knows magic's a part of you and she's been there the whole ride oh yeah she's yeah she's incredible I, mean, I could have never done any of this without her she's my support system i mean she's been there through the entire thing incredibly supportive uh always there for the entire ride and and still is and so um my you know i honestly i i, I say this well, in all earnest, I mean, I couldn't have done any of this without her. So um, she's a big, a big player, a big role in my life for sure. How many times have you cut her in half? <laughs> nah, never, believe it or not. She's never been <laughs> your never. faithful assistant. No, 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 no. I always tried to avoid that because I always heard horror stories of husband and wife working together and uh, how it never turned out well. So I never really wanted to do that. But she's uh, been, she's been in the audience. Lots and lots of times, but never on, on the stage, no. So she acted as a manager? <laughs> she helped you build the illusions everything? I mean, is she that into it with you? No, no, not oh, like good, that, no. Good. She's, uh, no, uh, I've, I've built, she's, she's watched. I've built, she's watched. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So do, yeah, the kids, uh, the kids that you have, either one of them magicians? Uh, they, they enjoy watching it, but they're not, uh, into it. Like I am like, they don't enjoy, they're not, they don't do magic. Um, they do enjoy learning some of the secrets and learning how it's done. They really enjoy watching it and being amazed by it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but never really took it up as I did. No. So is this something your family has thought you were crazy over the years? Or is this something that was pretty accepted by all friends and family? Yeah, this was, <laughs> this was, uh, 
as when you know when I was younger, I don't think my parents ever really thought that it would become any kind of a career path or anything that I would take that seriously. Um, although they were both of my parents were um, supportive to the nth degree. I mean, I neither one of them ever told me you you shouldn't get into this or you shouldn't follow this or maybe you should do something else. Um, they always, always gave me the full support and always said that you should do what, what you love. You should do, you should do what makes you happy in life. And, you know, as long as you can support yourself. And I say that to my kids too, you know, as long as you're healthy, happy, you're not hurting anybody else, do what makes you happy in life. As long as you can support yourself and your family, make yourself happy when you, (laughs) that's what it's all about. Right. So um, my family, my parents were always there for me always. And when I say I couldn't have done this without my wife, I really couldn't have done this without my parents. I mean, they really, um, they really fostered, um, all of my interests and they not only allowed me to pursue, but they helped me. I mean, they really helped me along the way. So my parents were always there. Um, my, my father would help me build things. Uh, my mother was there, um, even my grandmother to, you know, uh, create wardrobe, believe it or not, to sew, to sew wardrobe together. So, uh, everyone was there for me all along the way. And when it eventually turned into, uh, going to college for it, they were there for that as well. Um, probably not too enthusiastic about me leaving college to go try it on my own, uh, but still very supportive of it, uh, very incredibly supportive of it. And so um, I, I was always surrounded by a support system. And that's one of the reasons that I was able to, to, to get as far as I, I have in the, in the career and in the field. Um, and, you know, I, that support is huge. Having that support and knowing you have those people behind you um, is incredibly huge in anything you do, I think. Without that, there's divorce, there's there's resentment among family, right? But it sounds like you and your family are really living it right. Right, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Very, very close. I have a very close network of family, um, friends too, but uh, my family is number one to me, and, and I think you're hearing sort of where that comes from. Uh, you know, it comes from, uh, it comes from my childhood and my, my upbringing. So um, I, I think that comes first. Yeah, we're very symbiotic that way. My family's have been always very supportive of everything I've done, uh, and it just has made me stronger because you know you have that those people to fall back on, even if there's other people that want to tear you down for something. Sure, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So, all right, I want to yeah. talk about magic some more. I, I'm definitely going to carve some room for the science piece of this later on, but but I just want, I want to dive into this magic because I know this magic definitely uh, was a basis in your foundation for what you have done more with your career, with your science and everything. But with the magic piece, I'm, I just love. So I'm going to keep harping on this. So tell me, okay. uh, mentors, did you have mentors locally or nationally that helped you kind of propel to get yourself to be able to go to Vegas and have shows? Um, no, I had people that just helped me along the way, but there was no one real mentor. Um, I pretty much learned, you know, people ask me, how did you learn how to do magic? And I, learned it on my own, just as I said, digging into uh, books and resources that I could find. But, you know, I also make connections locally. Whenever I saw there there aren't any more magic shops locally, like uh, brick and mortar magic shops. But uh, at the time there were a couple 
Um, and I would go to those and I would make some connections there with some people and I would learn from them. So, you know, in that, in that regard, I had support through that system also, but, um, but never really had one mentor that I could, uh, that I could call on, uh, routinely. No. Has there been other magicians that have come out of Rochester? Just don't on me. I never thought of any or heard of any. Um, yeah, there's actually a couple of magicians uh, from Rochester um, and um, a couple that I know of right now that are really good uh, close-up guys. They do an, uh, like phenomenal close-up work um, and, and becoming increasingly more well-known um, and climbing up that ladder. So, yeah, there's a couple of local guys. Um, nobody does anything with uh, stage illusions or anything that big right now, I don't think. But the close-up stuff, there's a few guys locally, yes. Interesting. Are you guys tight? Do you guys collaborate? Or is it a competition thing? Yeah, um, it's not a competition. It's not a competition at all. No, it's really cool because the, the, you know, the magic community is a... Uh, it's like a family network and um, we, we support each other. Everybody supports one another. And it, it is certainly not a competition. In fact, uh, before I was on the phone with you, someone just contacted me and said, do you know anybody who can do a show for something I have going on? And I just referred them to two other local magicians um, and happy to do so because it, it truly is a, it's a community. The, the magic community is really strong and they do help one another. So what do you think the reason is now, do you think the Britain not having a magic uh, store, like a brick and mortar, like you mentioned, do you think that's a cause of like the big Walmarts and all this stuff? Or was it before that, that the magic stores went away? No, that's because of the internet. Yeah. It really is because of the internet. Yeah. It's just, you know, you can find anything and everything. It's so accessible. It's so quick. And, um, I think, you know, as, as the generations as the generations um, moved through the internet um, age um, to where we are right now, I mean, everybody just became more accustomed to just Googling and finding what you need. And why do you need to go to a brick and mortar shop for that? So, um, you know, but there's something to be said about a brick and mortar shop. You know I mean? When you're, when you're in a shop, physically in a shop and you're hanging out with a bunch of other magicians, you can learn so much from that experience, from hanging out with one another, um, that, that you don't get through the internet. And it's, it's too bad. It's unfortunate because, um, I think that the younger kids right now who are just learning from the internet are missing out on that whole experience and they don't even know they're missing out on it actually, but, but it's a different kind of a learning experience than a tutorial online. That's very interesting. Do you find the curiosity of kids has changed over the years toward magic? away for more for it or or less for it i guess um i think that i think that the i think that online there's a lot more of revealing magic and i think that there's a really big push online you know if you if you search online and search magic tricks you're going to find like secrets revealed that kind of thing and um that wasn't the case if you know years ago it was just about learning how to present tricks learning new tricks and learning ways to present tricks and because the internet has opened up a whole other realm which is secrets revealed and because that's accessible 
it has become a huge thing. And so I think that um, it's sort of taking away a lot of the wonder that used to be around because now you can just find out how something works really easily. Um, and it's really unfortunate because, you know, magic is about the wonder. It's about the, the awe, the amazement. It's about making uh, making someone feel a certain way, giving them a certain sense of, of amazement. And, uh, and now I think when someone sees a magic trick, I think that what they're thinking in their head is, I'm going to go Google this and figure and find this out. So they're more interested in the secret and finding out the secret because they know that it's accessible online. Um, and that, and that knowledge is out there for them to just go, go find. Um, and, but that wasn't the case before because there was no internet and you couldn't do that so easily. So people just, you know, soaked in that wonder and, and, and lived with it. And that, and, and that's different. Good or bad. Uh, I, I don't like the fact that the secrets are so prevalent on the internet. Um, but, but probably not for the reason you might think. Um, it's not because, oh, they're, they're showing the secrets that I'm trying to keep secret. It's not because of that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really because I think that, uh, knowing the secrets just diminishes that feeling of, of wonder you have. And so it's the not knowing that is so intriguing to me. It's the it's the puzzling nature of magic that's intriguing to me, um, and I think that that's squashed uh, when people know that they can just go look online. It's like knowing your Christmas presents before Christmas. It takes away yeah, that pre- thrill yeah. on Christmas it's Day great, so much. Great analogy. <laughs> great analogy. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Okay, so I'm a big uh, spiritual person. I believe in uh-huh. ghosts. I believe in the afterlife. I believe there's a connection regularly. I've definitely had some crazy things that happen in my life, some pre- premonitions that uh, I can't explain. So so tell me, I am just looked up magic in Wikipedia, and it kind of goes under three different categories. Magic is supernatural, illusion, or magic and fiction. So, so have you seen any magic that bordered on superficial, or, or I'm sorry, supernatural, that you were like, wow. No, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but no. And, okay. and that's only because I've, you know, I've been involved in it so much and at, to such a degree that in most of the times when I'm watching a, a trick and I'm seeing someone perform a trick, regardless of if it's live or on TV, I can pretty much explain it and, and tell you how it's happening. Um, but I've never seen anything that I just question and say, wow, is that like real magic i mean i've never never really questioned that before and that's just because i you know in my experiences you know i've been doing this for so long that sort of seen so many different methods techniques and and um approaches to, to magic to make it look like it's like it's real uh but haven't haven't really seen or felt that no so in your life, you've never seen something and made you said, man, there's an afterlife or that's something I can't explain. Never. Did, did you say, do I, do I believe in that? No, no, no. I'm just saying, so you, in your life in general, magic or not, have your, how's your feeling on the afterlife, like uh, supernatural in general? I'm just, I'm just curious of your, of your thoughts because you're oh, science based. Uh, so that's why I'm asking. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, as a scientist, you know, they, <laughs> scientists will tell you there's no science evidence of that um but it doesn't mean that you know i don't i don't have an open mind to it that's for sure 
So I absolutely have an open mind to it. And uh, I believe that it's entirely possible. Although, you know, like I said, I haven't seen it yet. If I have, I, you know, people would be coming to me. I'd be, I'd be the guy people would be coming to, but <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe that yet. No, but, but I absolutely have an open mind to it. Definitely. Well, thanks for spoiling my watching every magic show now. <laughs> <laughs> I, so every time Sorry. I watch a match, oh, you're, you're, it's fine. It's all good. Every time I just have that, I'm 47. I still act like a kid when I see magic and think that yep. there's really something going on that can't be explained. I, I just truly, I don't, I don't know if I can ever. Uh, I, so I'm that kid that always loved magic. I'll never go on the internet to see how something's faked or anything because I enjoy, I, I enjoy that su surprise. That's awesome. That's exactly, you know, that's why magicians, magicians who are magicians at heart, they, that's the reason they do it. They do it to create that sense of, uh, of enjoyment and, and wonder in people. And, um, they don't do it, you know, real, if you're really, um, a, a true magician at heart and not a trickster sort of, but a magician is really creating an experience for someone um, and not just presenting a puzzle to somebody. And that's the difference between, you know, um, somebody who's just wants to know how tricks are done and somebody who wants to know how to present them as a magician. There's two different things. Hmm. Now, are you a student of magic, like the history of or anything, or are you? Yes. Uh, you are? Uh, anything oh, yeah. you'd want to pass on to people maybe that would be interesting that they wouldn't know? Um. The, you know, once you get into the history of magic, you're, you discover lots and lots that most people don't know. And um, Houdini was, uh, as I said, an idol of mine when I was a kid. And uh, I did. I was really interested and excited to learn that he. You know, I'm in Rochester, and I was excited to learn that he was in Rochester. Um, so there's a picture. If you go online, there's a picture of him standing at a bridge. He's in chains, and he actually wrote on the picture. Uh, he wrote Rochester, New York. And he wrote the year, I believe it was 1908, I want to say. And, um, but, you know, I, I find that intriguing, but, and, and I've always wondered what bridge is he at? And, and I haven't been able to figure that out yet. So that, that to me is pretty interesting. Wow. Can you imagine if they dangled him over like one of the falls or something? Right. That would be really cool. Yeah. No, he actually did a bridge jump. So he was standing on a bridge and he jumped into the water and I cannot tell from the picture and i've done a little bit of digging into it and i still can't figure out exactly where he was but i'm hoping that i can someday i can't wait out. and when you get that information i want to pass that on all right cool all right i love it so yeah so i'm just looking at the history a little, a little bit and it goes back to ancient times i mean magic has always been around in some form right uh it really has yeah and it probably has taken on different versions as far as the type of magic, right? I mean, you were mentioning the different types from, from the get-go uh, as far as you're talking about illusion or stage magic or close-up magic. Yes. And, you know, in the beginning, it was more wizardry um, it, because it, it was a magic that was meant to be deceiving and presented as if it was real magic and wizardry. Um, and then that eventually evolved into enter in, in more of an entertainment aspect where it wasn't meant to be perceived as real, but more as entertainment. Um, and of course, you know, when you're talking going back that far, um, you don't have the, the big stage illusions. I mean, there were no big stage illusions. So it was just common, ordinary objects that people had around that they were using. Eventually that turned into, um, 
you know, uh, through the ages as it's interesting because as automation developed, so did some of the magic tricks along with automation. Um, as, uh, as people realized, I don't want to say optical illusions, but, uh, methods of perception and leading people towards, uh, certain outlooks because of their perception. Um, we, we figured out how to design stage props and things like that, that could, um, help the effect, aid the effect. So yeah, through the ages, you could see certain, uh, developments for sure. Is there anything that you kind of developed ahead of the game, uh, other magicians while you're out in Vegas? Uh, no, no, I'd, I'd like to say that I did, but no, I can't, I can't take claim to that. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when something's been going on since ancient times, pretty much everything has been done, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know about that either because you know, there's always new magic being, being put out there. Um, if you're into the magic field, into the magic scene, and you're going, if you go to magic sites where you can buy magic, um, there you will see new stuff constantly. There was always something new to see, and I think that's because, um, the, I mean, it's like saying everything that can be invented has been invented. It's just that's you know, it can't you, you can't say that. So same thing with magic. You know, there's so many different ways of presenting something. So many different um methods you can use and so it, it i don't see it ending there's it's endless so what's your favorite part of it actually pulling off the trick or watching people's reactions to it oh watching people's reactions by far um and, and that's why i do it just to see the just just to see the reaction and 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 just and enjoy that aspect of it but it really takes a lot of work to get to that point um but that's what i that's what i enjoy the most for sure when you say it took a while, how long did it take you doing shows in Vegas where you could really relax on stage to be able to enjoy that re the reaction? Um, you are always perfecting because um, you never reach the point at which you feel like, oh, this is absolutely perfect. You'll reach the point where you feel confident and comfortable and knowing that it's presentable and that you're, um, you know, you've put enough work into it. That it's polished. It's amazing. And it's, I want to say sort of flawless, um, but but you're always learning, and there's always something to learn. I mean, um, it's like being in the classroom too. I mean, you, you, it, whenever you have a different audience, there's always a different experience, and which means you can always learn something from it. So nothing is static; it's always changing. Whether it's the audience, uh, the atmosphere, the scenery, the reaction. And so these are all things that you can learn from if your eyes are open to it and you're perceptive to it. Does it annoy you when you have critics in the audience that want to destroy a, um, a set or I don't know how you refer to it or show? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, it doesn't really happen too often. And that's only because of, I want to say, I'll use the word management. So uh, you learn early on that you're going to have hecklers maybe and people who just want to like tear down what you're doing or try to reveal it or you know when you're really young people want to grab stuff out of your hand things like that and so you have to learn really quickly um how to manage that kind of a situation or you get so frustrated that you just hang it up and you say i'm not doing this anymore and unfortunately there are um there are many kids who go through that and just say, I'm not doing this anymore. And that's one of the things that I do in the after school club that I have at school is to try and teach kids 
the perseverance and try and show them how to deal with different situations and instances like that, because they're going to happen. You just can't get away from it. But if you know how to manage and deal with it and you're, and the other thing is, as long as you know that it's going to happen and you expect it, um, then, then it's more manageable. Um, but yeah, no, it doesn't bother me at all. And, and I've just learned, you know, not only to accept it, but also to deal with it in, in certain ways. That's a nice segue to my next question. So sure. is there certain, like I'm, my fine motor skills have never been the best. I'm, I'm good at a lot of different things, but playing darts, I'm not consistent. I'm not consistent in a pool or, or certain things. So fine motor skills, being a mechanic, that's not my strength. I can edit video. I can take pictures other things I can do well. But so my question is, is certain skills, like if, I, if I'm a young person or, or if I'm trying to guide a young person or be a mentor, a young person to, to find different activities or hobbies, right? Is there certain skills or yeah. certain kids you see that tend to be better at magic, uh, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And um, believe it or not, I haven't. So I've had an after-school magic club uh, since I've been teaching. So for 20 years now, I've had an after-school magic club. It's one of the biggest clubs in the school. and uh, I have it open to seventh grade um any seventh grader there's no um sort of audition and there are no cuts if you want to be in your in uh, all i'm looking for is kids who are interested in learning exciting magic and learning how to present it to people so um it's interesting because i have found that it really doesn't matter um your personality it really doesn't matter your learning style, your learning abilities, um, any challenges you may have. Nothing, none of that really matters, believe it or not, when you're learning magic. Um, I have had all kinds of learners who have really excelled in magic. And I think that it's just in the, you know, you were talking earlier about having a support system in your family and people behind you. And I think that's what it's all about. When you have somebody who's not only training you, but who does so in a supportive way, an encouraging way, <clears throat> that can really foster any kind of any kind of student. And 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 so learning your learning your students, learning how they each individually um, react, behave. Um, and and learn things learning their individual little uh idiosyncrasies can really help in fostering the relationship with them and helping them and guiding them through the the uh, learning process of magic how many years have you had the club for 20 years have you seen increase decrease or has it been cyclic at all it has not been cyclic it has actually grown so in the first year that i did it I think I had maybe seven students. Um, and once word of mouth got out, got out in the second year, I had about 50. Uh, the third year I had over a hundred and, um, eventually it, it got so big that I had to hold the clubs or the club meetings in the auditorium. And I was, <laughs> it got this big where I would have meet two days a week. So on one day, on the first day, I would uh, have everybody come to the auditorium where I would project onto a big screen so I could, so everybody could see clearly and I would show the trick and then I would show how to present the trick. And the, and then everyone would leave. Uh, that would be probably about 40, 45 minutes long after school. And then we'd meet a second time that week 
where students would meet in my classroom. It would be packed. They'd meet in my classroom and everyone would be performing for one another all at the same time. So if you walked into the room, it would just be a flurry of activity where everyone's just talking, chattering, showing magic, just stuff happening everywhere. It's just awesome. And, um, and so that's what it eventually evolved into. And that, that's the way it was even up to last year. So it's been a, it's been a really exciting club and really exciting to be able to pass on, um, not only my interest, but my passion to other students and see it really, um, take off in them. Uh, I got one for you. Yep. I'm listening to you and you're telling your story to me and us, and I've looked up a little of your information and you've developed this strategy called P-O-Q-I-E. Right. Correct. Um, without getting too much into that, I'm sure Brian will quickly or soon. Um, it sounds like a lot of your traits of magic help you develop this P O Q I E. Is that true? Or do you? Yes, to a certain extent. So, um, I have my hands on a few different projects and, but they're all sort of related. So the, the quick answer to that is yes. Um, but maybe not to the level you may imagine. So, uh, I quickly realized that magic and science are incredibly closely related. Um, and uh, a lot of science looks like magic. And some of those things we call phenomena. And uh, some of those things we call discrepant events or things that contradict what you expect. And that's exactly what happens in magic as well. Um, and I also realized that a lot of many of the magic tricks were actually based upon or using scientific principles. And so there was a strong connection between the two. And as I started to tease that apart in my first couple of few years of teaching, I realized that um, there were some directions I could take. Um, and so I did. And so that led me to the different projects that I have going on now. And one of those is, as you saw online, one of those is this uh, method of instruction that I came up with. And, and that I came up with uh, through, uh, through my uh, education, getting my not only my master's, but also my doctorate. That was all born out of that education. Um, but it all began with the, the magic. You're right about that. Oh, so many directions now. I love it, Bob. All right, so first off, what school district do you teach at? Because I, w- I want to make sure people are aware that, that in that school district, parents are aware that, listen, that they can send your ki- kids to this magic club. But what, what district are you in? Yeah, I'm in Brighton, uh, Brighton Central School District, and I'm at 12 Corners Middle School, and uh, I teach seventh grade. I love that district. A very diverse district. One of my favorites in Rochester. It absolutely is. Yes, it is. Uh, all right, so you're at Brighton, and would you say that there's magic clubs in 50% of schools across the country, 10% of schools, or 90% of schools? <laughs> I don't think you hit the number. <laughs> I think they're probably in maybe 2 or 3% of schools, if that. How do we change um, that? Uh, well, I started doing, eventually, I started doing, uh, I, the magic club after school turned into magic camp. 
And so I began, after a few years of doing Magic Club, I began doing a camp in the summer and opened it up to anybody in the area, all students, all kids in the area. It was just for kids. It wasn't for adults. My son-in-law went to Magic Camp, by the way. I couldn't hold it back anymore. He mentioned a Magic Camp, and I have a feeling it's yours he went to. This is Oh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 Sorry to interrupt, but please go ahead. Yeah, it's okay. So I went to Magic. I did Magic Camp, and... I had students coming from all dis- different districts in the area, all different school districts, and they asked, "Can you bring? Can you like do magic in our school? Can you come and do magic after school in ours? In, you know, in our school as a club after school?" And the answer is no. I mean, even though I'd love to, it's impossible for me to teach during the day and then travel around to every you know all these different school districts and have an after school club. It's just impossible to do that. And I had so many requests. I realized that the interest was really great for it and students really want kids really wanted it and so what i realized with the internet that the technology is there to actually do this and that's how i came up with the the magic club academy and the website as you that you found the magic club academy website and And please tell me where that is how how can they find it because i want to make sure they know right now yeah that's it's called magicclubacademy.com uh so it's magicclubacademy.com and if you're looking at it and you go to it, uh, it's going to look very, very different in about two weeks. Um, so uh, we've been working really hard on creating a brand new site, which I'm really, really excited about. It's going to be very, very different. Uh, it's going to be state of the art and it's going to be very current uh, in all in all aspects. And so uh, check it out in about two weeks. You're going to see. Uh, a brand new, a brand new site with brand new features that I'm incredibly excited about. I'm, I've got a couple of new features coming onto this site that aren't found on any magic site on the internet. You will not find anything like my site on the internet anywhere. I, I really can't even say much about it right now because I, I don't want the word out there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I really want to make sure that others don't sort of take the idea. Um, and so, uh, in about two weeks it'll launch and people will see it. And I'm expecting a a lot of, uh, a a lot of, a lot of eyes on it, uh, because it's going to be something that is not seen on the internet, as I said. So, so please check it out, but it's still going to be the same, the same site. It's still going to be magicclubacademy.com. It's just going to have a different look with all new features on it. One of those features I can tell you right now is, um, that the after-school club that's on there right now is a paid version. So in order to register, it costs. And uh, in a couple of weeks, it will no longer cost. So please don't sign up and pay for it. Believe it or not, I'm actually saying that. Um, It's going to be a free service so that any school can uh, register and uh, just learn magic uh, together as a school. Uh, I haven't really said it yet, like what the site is all about. So here's here's what the site is about. As I as I already mentioned to you, I had students in my camp who were asking me to bring it to their school, um, and I couldn't do that. But what I did realize was that through the internet, I could bring it to their school. So uh, I got I would get together with my own students after school, and I would videotape me with them doing magic. And, uh, and I put that on the internet. And so first I would show the trick to my students and then I would teach the trick. And so it was basically a tutorial 
but it was uh, the tutorial followed the actual performance. And, and I limited the tutorial to about 30 minutes because I knew that most after-school clubs were about 30 minutes long, roughly, maybe 25, 30 minutes, maybe sometimes 40. So I put that on the internet um, and offered it as a year-long subscription, a year-long comprehensive course. What I was really interested in, though, Brian, was not really just showing kids how to do magic. What I was really interested in was delivering a comprehensive course where I, I taught not only the trick, but how to be a magician, which is a much different thing than how to do a trick. And I really took it from the very beginning. So I, my target audience is essentially a seventh grader. And I take it right from the beginning. Uh, pretend you don't even know what a deck of cards is or how to handle it or how to shuffle. You don't even know what a, a face and a, and a back of a card is. And I really start there. And it's a scaffolded comprehensive course that is supposed to run from September to, to May in a school year. And it really leads kids into an understanding for what it takes to be a magician, an effective magician, what it takes to really dedicate yourself to the, to the art and the field and get good at it, not just show a trick or a puzzle to somebody. And so that's the magicclubacademy.com site. Um, and uh, it, I, I was charging a fee for the entire year. And uh, it was a nominal fee. It was a very low fee. But in a couple of weeks, it's going to be free to anybody. So you could essentially, if you want to bring this into your school, you do not have to know magic. And that's the way I wanted to build this. So if a teacher wanted to bring this into their school, they don't have to know any magic, no magic background. In fact, you can learn magic along with your students. So all you have to do is register, no fee, no charge. And uh, automatically every month, it, you will get tutorials dropped into your, um, your account. And what you do is you bring your students together after school, turn on the computer, log in, watch the video. And I and all and I do everything for you. So um, and it really does use things that uh, kids commonly can find around the house or in school. So you know I wanted to, I wanted to make sure I was doing that as well. So, so things like you know cards, money, uh, pencils, rubber bands, paper clips, you know things like that. Um, and so that's the MagicClubAcademy.com. Is there other features to the website that you can talk about? Uh, other features on the website. Yeah, yeah before so right you're now adding there it. is a shop. There's a magic shop in there right now where you can buy things, and um, and you could buy props and 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 magic tricks and and books and videos and things like that. So I really wanted to. The reason I had that there was because I wanted to foster um, that kind of um, that kind of interest in students. So I I didn't want to limit students or kids and i want to limit them to just the tricks i was showing so i really want to foster a passion for magic and the way to do that is to say you know i can show you how this, these tricks work and i can show you how to present these tricks but there's so much more you can do and you can find it on these dvds if you're interested or these books if you're interested and so there is a magic shop in there as well you can also by the way there's a there's a feature in there so that if you wanted to um you know, if you're if you're a student and you wanted to bring it into your into your school, um, you could 
uh, you can't register as a student, but you can, um, there's a link in there where you can let me know that you're interested and I can sort of follow up and, and see what I can do. But, uh, but that's a feature in there as well. That's exciting. I like this. I mean, the, the, you're right. The internet is a great place for people to find magic, but finding it the right way is really critical. It, it's really important. Yeah. And you know, this is different than YouTube. So I mentioned that before and how I, you know, it, it's different than going on YouTube or Googling and just finding out how a trick is done. This is really just a really comprehensive course that teaches you how to be a magician, how to deliver it how to how to create a sense of wonder in people not just how to present it as a puzzle but how to create it um as an experience for for people and and that's way different are most kids who come to your club boys or girls both and, and in equal numbers and i'm really really excited about that as well and you don't see that too often i mean you i don't i probably don't have to tell you that i mean if you look up magicians online you're going to see that most of them are are male and, and and then you know it's a stereotype that has developed over the years and um and you know you're going to find the that women and girls are the ones that are the assistants but that's changing and if you if you google right now and you and you look up female magicians uh, you will find that it is a growing it is a growing population. I'm really really excited about that. So yeah, in my club, um, I I really I encourage and foster that as well, and let them know that you know anybody can do magic. You don't have to be a boy or a girl. Anybody can do magic. So has any of the kids come out of your club gone on to be performers? Yeah, I have um, a couple that I know of that have continued it into their adult life. Uh, none are doing it, um, as a way to sustain their, you know, their, their livelihood. But, um, uh, I have a few that have actually continued it into their adulthood and continue to do it and follow it, practice it, um, learn new things. And, and I have a couple who have remained in, in touch with me, uh, consistently, uh, since the time I, I have them as students. And uh, and continue to reach out to me, and we remain in contact uh, about magic. It's really cool to build a relationship like that, and know that they're still they're still involved in it and excited about it too. So it sounds like it wasn't a very difficult decision for you when you moved back from Vegas, come here to take on education uh, as a role to become a science teacher. It sounded like you didn't have much debate to, that a middle school science teacher is what you want to be. Uh, but then it's intriguing that as you're going back to get your degrees. Uh, you decide not only to just get your degrees and get through it to go to teach and do magic, you do it, and then you develop a research technique. Uh, Bob mentioned it before. It's predict, observe, question, investigate, explain, P-O-Q-I-E. You couldn't just go and get your master's and move along. you had to, you got to keep propelling yourself. What's going on here? Come on, Doc. You're impressing me more every second I read here. Tell me a little bit about it. Right? Yeah. Hey, that's okay. But I like that. I, I, I'm a firm believer that kind of – in your the it was probably your thesis for your master's where it started is that correct yeah um so i went to get my master's and you know when you're in education when you're a teacher and an educator you have to get your master's in new york state you have to get a master's degree and so when i went to get my master's um my super i went to brockport um suny brockport for my master's i went to the u of r the university of rochester for my uh, undergrad work i i went to the university of rochester the warner school at the, at the University of Rochester to get my teaching uh, degree, my teaching certification, my teaching background. 
uh, and that was the Warner School of Education. Uh, when I got my master's, I went to SUNY Brockport, and uh, my supervisor at the time, I, you know, you have to do a thesis, and he asked me what I wanted to, to do, write my thesis on, and I, I said, I don't really know because I have so many different interests. I don't know where I want to go. And he suggested discrepant events. He said he knew I was a magician. He knew that I liked magic. And he said, why don't you do something with discrepant events? Because they're sort of like magic. And I thought, you know, that's really cool idea. That's perfect. I'm going to do that. So I did. I followed that. I followed his advice. And I'm so glad that I did. It was just, it was such great advice. Um, and so I learned so much in through my research and I brought it into the classroom. So a discrepant event, it comes from the word discrepancy, which is uh, a contradiction of expectation. So a discrepant event is when you experience something and the outcome is different than what you would expect it to be, um, which is sort of like a magic trick if you think about it. And what I realized that were that discrepant events in science um, oftentimes looked like magic. But there was an explanation to it. There was a there there was a reason for what was happening, and it could be explained. And if it couldn't be explained, then it became a really interesting research project or investigation. Um, and so uh, I brought discrepant events into the classroom. I studied them in the classroom. I studied the learning outcomes that students had with discrepant events in the curriculum, and absolutely loved it. And uh, so I wrote my thesis on it. So my thesis was on discrepant events in the science classroom. And, uh, and then uh, I took about a two-year pause uh, before going back, maybe about a year and a half pause before going back to school again to get a doctorate. When I went to get my doctorate, I went to the University of Rochester again, and that's where I got my uh, doctorate from, from the Warner School of Education at the, at the U of R. And, um, my, you know, when I applied for the program, I was interviewed, I was accepted, and they asked me what I would be interested in researching. And I said, I would love to continue my research that I already began. And that was important to me because I didn't want my previous research to be something that sat on a shelf and I just did as, you know, a hoop to jump through. I wanted it to be something that I could continue to learn from and my students could continue to benefit from. So, uh, I said, I want to uh, continue my research from my thesis. And they said, perfect, let's do it. And again, so thankful. You know, and, and here's that theme again that you, <laughs> you talked about early in the conversation, which is the support network. And, you know, it's really easy for, uh, it would have been really easy for them to say, why don't you do this? Or have you thought about this? Or what other interests do you have? But as soon as I said what I was interested in and named it, they were incredibly supportive and, um, and and allowed me to continue that research. And so for uh, four more years, I researched and uh, brought into my classroom discrepant events and phenomena and, um, and science phenomena. So I studied, again, how to use it in the classroom, how to best learn it towards uh, learning outcomes, uh, student learning outcomes. And, uh, and, and that's how it all sort of developed. Uh, but it all came from magic. So that was a question you asked a little bit ago, a little while ago. 
So yeah, it all stemmed from magic, but it had a, uh, a, a trajectory, sort of a learning or a uh, path that I followed that started with magic, but led into education. Can you describe one of the components? Like, uh, so the action research, what did it consist of? Is what I want to ask, but maybe what's an event maybe that you and your class would have done that you would have used for your research for this? Um, you mean a discrepant event? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, in magic, in magic, if I throw a ball up in the air and it hangs in the air, there's a secret to that, but it's a magic trick because I am sort of hiding some of the parts. So for example, I'm not saying this is how it would be done, but just as a quick, quick example, mm -hmm. if I had sort of like an invisible thread or a string that you couldn't see, and that was like holding the ball in the air, then I would be deceiving you because I wouldn't be showing you all the parts. You would only see the ball suspended in the air, but I'm intentionally deceiving you by not showing you the string. That's a magic trick where I'm preventing you from really seeing or knowing what's happening behind the scenes. In science, it still looks like magic, but yet there's there's a scientific explanation and nothing is being hidden from you. Nothing is you're not being deceived in any way. So uh, that's what a phenomena is. A phenomena is where you're going to see a natural event occur in the real world where nothing is being hidden from your view or hidden from your knowledge, and yet it still looks like magic. Um, and so uh, just a, as another quick example, so I'll sort of like tie in that ball floating in the air to something else. So if I take a, um, a hairdryer um, and, um, and I hold it so that it's projected up into the air and I put a ping pong ball in the, in the path of the air that's coming out of it, the ping pong ball will float in the air and just hover in the air a few feet over the the uh, the hairdryer. If I tilt the hairdryer to the side, the ping pong ball will remain in that wind current, even though it's not above the dryer, it's to the side of the dryer, which sort of looks like real magic. And students think like you're doing something magical, when in fact there's a scientific principle, it's called the Bernoulli's effect or the Bernoulli principle, which which is behind it all. So that's just a quick example of, you know, how a magic trick and a scientific uh, phenomena or science phenomena can sort of look, both look like magic, but one is deception and the other is natural phenomena that, it, that can be explained. Now, is this um, just the reason why they put you in this thesis and had you going down doctors? There's not a lot of people studying this or, or doing research around this. Uh, really interesting that um, when I really got into this, I realized that the last person, the last uh, scientist or educator, he was an educator who uh, studied discrepant events was probably back in the 70s. And, um, and he put out a book also, and it was a huge volume that is still, uh, it's not for sale, but it's still very well sought after. And it, it's an, an entire volume or encyclopedia of discrepant events. But, but he did this back in the 70s, not alive anymore. Um, and so when I did the, when I started doing my research, I realized, wow, this, you know, there's really, this hasn't been updated. This, this research or material hasn't been updated in quite a while. And so that was exciting for me as well. 
how how has everything fallen into place like this for you? I, I, I'm excited because I think in academia, sometimes people will do a thesis just to do it to get past, and then they really don't build off it. It's just something to be done, right? And I'm I believe right. there's probably a lot of master's thesis out there to talk. To, uh, the doctoral, I don't know what you call it, the doctoral, you know, research. Uh, but a lot of it gets left behind when those people move on in their lives and nothing's done with that. So I'm excited to hear that, you know, this is almost like the third tier of this, right? Like, what's the next goal for oh, yeah. this? Yeah, so, um, I, so eventually what happened was I'd been studying discrepant events and phenomena for probably a total of maybe 12 years, maybe 13 years. Um, and suddenly... Um, and this is interesting also, which I, you know, I don't know if you know anything about this, but uh, science learning standards across the country are changing right now. And uh, so in New York State, for example, we've had uh, New York State learning standards for a, a number of years that haven't really changed too dramatically. And about probably about six years ago, maybe five, six years ago, um, these new standards came about, and um, these new standards are focused and centered on phenomena. They're called the Next Generation Science Standards. They're called NGSS for short, Next Generation Science Standards. Uh, when they first came out, um, you know, no one really knew what what it was going to become, but it has become um, the the new. Uh, the new standards for almost every state in the in the country, and uh, all most states have adopted um, the new standards, and other states are are in the process of adopting. And so, these new standards are a complete shift in the way educators have taught science, an absolute shift in the way you teach uh, science in the classroom. And that in itself is an absolute shift in the way students will experience their science learning in the classroom. Uh, the interesting thing and how it connects to me is that the the standards focus and center on phenomena. In fact, if you count the word phenomena in the in the new standards, you, you'll eventually just get tired of counting. It, it's all about phenomena. So, if I could, uh, if I could sort of sum it up it's it, it's sort of like this the traditional way of presenting material as an educator the traditional way is to deliver material to the students transmit the, the material to them give them maybe powerpoints and worksheets and graphic organizers and let them do activities and lessons and investigations um the new method the new sort of accepted way of presenting which makes a lot of sense and it's the way we really do learn in the, in 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 our lives is to experience something and then learn about it um and so in this sort of in these new standards um what you're doing is you begin the lesson by presenting a phenomena to students by presenting to them um something that that sort of shocks them, amazes them, uh, that sort of hooks them. And then the idea is to follow that up with uh, and in investigations that they conduct so that they can learn more about the phenomena in order to explain it. And then to follow that up and to not present the, the understanding to them and not give them the meaning or give them the sort of like the secret behind it all, but to let them collaboratively construct the meaning and the explanation for it based on the investigations that they conducted. 
So it puts more of the onus in their lap and more of the um, more of the uh, ability to really create the understanding for themselves rather than being told everything and being given everything. So the, the role of the teacher is changing dramatically, and most educators are not familiar with how to deliver in this kind of a, of a, of a lesson, how to deliver this kind of a, of a of format. Um, and so it's shifting a lot of uh, how our practices are conducted, a lot of how uh, it informs our learning, our students' learning in the classroom. And, uh, and that leads me, Brian, to um, like sort of like the next phase. So you were talking about how each phase is like building. And so um, when I realized, uh, when, I, when, I, when I first started to learn about the next generation science standards, I looked into it and realized this is my body of research. This is exactly what I have been doing in the classroom. It's exactly how I have been doing it in the classroom. And because I had been doing it for 12 or 13 years, I had amassed such a huge body of, of material that I figured, let me put it together in a book and put it out there as a resource for people because there was there, 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 are, there weren't many resources at all for people at the time for educators. So I did put it all in a book, and that book is on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. I put it out uh, three years ago, and um, the name that, of that book, name of that book again is please for people because this is important. And, and I'm just going to break in for a second. Sure. I just I, I read I've been reading a book to my grandson this week, and the book is called I don't know the it's not a specific author, but this book will make you smarter, right? It's a collection Correct. of short stories from the, some of the smartest people across the country, and one of the essays they talk about is. There's not enough people in this uh, in society that think scientifically, like fact based, um, informing their opinions on facts. It's about emotion and marketing and whatever someone tells them. Just like you said, so I love okay. this, uh, and I want and I want to perpetuate this. So please, the name of the book, where they can find it, because and and also, how long do you think it'll take for a transformation across the country that may get us so we have a society that's a little more scientifically thoughtful. Uh, the, the name of the book is phenomena driven inquiry. So it's phenomena driven inquiry, and it could be found on Barnes Noble and Amazon. I also have uh, a website also called phenomena driven inquiry.com. And I sell the book there as well. Um, but so you can get it in uh, Barnes Noble, Amazon, as well as my site. And it is a volume of work, um, that, as I said, I put together from all of my research and all of my practice in the classroom. And so the first half of the book is really an explanation of how to deliver in this new format, how to most effectively uh, deliver in a way that can uh, increase student learning outcomes. And um, in the second half of the book, after you understand how to deliver in this format, uh, the second half of the book is almost 100 lessons for um for for teachers so once you know how to do it here are the lessons that you can actually deliver in your classroom and uh and and it, it's aligned with the ngss the next generation science standards and so i talk about how each lesson aligns with the different standards um and so that's the book and it's been out for three years now now the next generation science standards when it was first put out 
there was a timeline, and pe- educators were expected to be prepared uh, by a certain date to implement in their classrooms. And uh, that date really for us in, in New York State really is going to be uh, about next year, so not this coming year. So really, to be on track, most educators want to be sort of like uh, trying to work this kind of format into their curriculum this year. But by next year, so the year 2021, that school year, uh, you really want to have this implemented in your classroom. And and this is now, Brian, this is K-12, which is also really interesting because we, what's going to happen is students who enter kindergarten are going to begin their education learning this way and follow this learning format all the way through 12th grade. Um, really, really exciting. Very, very um, uh, exciting stuff and really practical. I mean, this is the way students should be learning, and, and this is the way I wish I had learned when I was a kid. I mean, this is, this is all about allowing students to have their own creativity, um, allowing students to follow their own interests, allowing students to figure things out that they're amazed at in the world around them. Um, and so and that and so much more. I mean, it's really exciting stuff. So uh, that's the timeline. And so you should see a shift and a change in the way students experience and perceive the world around them just in a matter of a few years. That's that's the intent anyway. That's the that's the objective. I love that it's K through 12. I just went to the website where people can find it. I just went to nextgenscience.org. Uh, and all this right. can be found there, K through 12. Uh, I'm, I'm right. very encouraged by this. this. I hadn't heard about this before, and, and I'm actually going to make sure I tell other people about this because this is something uh, I believe will help people maybe live so they don't make the mistakes of our previous generations as far as eating the wrong foods, not exercising, and really think about things more scientifically. Right. But you know what, Brian? This is really, you know, and again, we've been talking about this since the beginning of our conversation, sort of the evolution or the path that you follow in life. And this is the evolution of the path of education because, you know, everybody thought years ago that the traditional sort of what we would call didactic method or the method of just, you know, delivering material to students, that that was the way we learn. But, you know, through research, through more research and um, uh, thoughtful approaches, we've really learned and discovered that, no, there there is a better way to learn. There is a more genuine, authentic way uh, to, to learn. And, and so that's what this is. And so, you know, it's not like we did anything wrong or uh, incorrectly or bad in the past. It's just that it's taken us those years and that research to get to this point now. And I'm really excited and encouraged and enthusiastic about it because it really is, this is the way students should be learning in the classroom. This, this is authentic learning. Um, and so it's really exciting. So the POQIE model that, that you kind of formulated, right? Um, I, I guess where do, where are you going to take that as far as uh, are, are you going to model? Is it going to be something the teachers or is that just something? I'm trying to figure out how it fits in with the next gen science. I guess a little bit better. Yeah, sure. So uh, if you remember how I just explained it to you, you're showing phenomena to students. And then you're asking them to sort of conduct investigations to explain or figure out what's happening in the phenomena, like what what underlies that phenomena. 
And so uh, in my doctorate, I, I studied and researched and brought into the classroom and tried a whole bunch of different ways to do that. And the way that I arrived at was uh, this method of P-O-Q-I-E. I actually didn't come up with that acronym, but it just, it just happened. Believe it or not, it happened naturally. So the, these are the steps that we follow in the classroom or that I would, I would um, suggest that, that you follow in the classroom. And don't forget, I just want to put this out there also. This is not like the holy grail of teaching the P-O-Q-I-E. The P-O-Q-I-E, the Pokey model, is really just one sort of tool or strategy in an educator's toolbox. So when you want to present, uh, when, you're, when you're an educator, you want to be able to present in a number of different strategies, in a number of different methods, in a number of different formats. And so you need a whole bunch of strategies in your educator's toolbox. This is just one of them. So it's not the one that everyone should be doing, but it's, it, it is one that everybody should know how to do and should use at times in their curriculum. And what it is, is the P stands for predict. So in the predict phase, I would show students um, the, the equipment that I have in front of me. And I would say, for example, uh, and here's one, here's a great one that I can explain to you that you will, you will really understand what I'm talking about. So um, I will take a mason jar and it's an empty mason jar. I fill it with water. I put a piece of paper like cardboard on top of the mouth and I invert the jar so it's upside down. And I ask students to make the prediction. What do you think will happen when I remove my hand from the paper, from the cardboard? So I'm not going to do it yet. I want you to make a prediction. And I ask students to journal and write their prediction down. So they have to commit to it. Seventh graders are really excited about this because they want to know if they're right or wrong. And it's also a feeling of ownness, like you own this now. You've written it down. You're committed to it. So they will make a prediction. Now, I don't, have you ever seen this before where you turn a, a glass of water upside down and you hold a piece of paper over it and let it go? You yep. ever do that? Yep, yep. Long time ago, but yeah. Okay. So some students have seen this before. Others have not. Now, some students will know that when you remove your hand, the paper actually remains in place and the water does not fall out of the, out of the bottle. That's amazing to half of the class. The other half of the class has seen it before, but they can't explain it. So they just have seen it and they're used to it. Um, so they have, once they've made a prediction, I'll ask them to make an observation, to observe what happens. That's the old part, the old phase of the pokey model. So predict and then observe. So when you're observing, I want you to journal at the same time, and I want you to tell me what you think are the important features of, the, of, of what you're seeing. So I remove my hand, and the paper stays in place. You've seen that before? Yes. Okay. So now think of yourself as a student. You're sitting in a class, and you've seen this before. If you've never seen this before, this is amazing to you. You have no idea how the water is remaining in the bottle, even though it's upside down, and no one's holding it in place. To the people who have seen this before, they sort of feel like, yeah, I've seen this before, even though they can't explain it. They're not entirely amazed because they've seen it before, right? That would be you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now I, I take the cardboard and I pull it away from the jar and the water remains in place. No one has seen that before. And it's not a magic trick. So the water actually remains in the bottle, upside down, with nothing covering it. Hmm. And, it is, and it is not a magic trick. There is a science principle behind it. But what happens now, Brian, is you have just now amazed 
everybody in the class, even the people who have seen the piece of paper on it, have never seen the piece of paper removed. And and now you've got everyone in the class who not only are intrigued, but want to know what's going on. So you'll have students who will say, that's a magic trick, or let me see that, or let me try that, or what if you, or can I look under it, or can I feel under it, and all these questions. And that's exactly what you want, because you want students to be engaged, like authentically engaged. You don't want that. It's different than giving them a lesson and saying, follow these directions and do this investigation. This is an experience that just triggers in you an inherent an inherent need to want to understand, an inherent need to want to know. I mean, you you want to know how this is happening because you've never seen it before. You can't explain it. It doesn't fit into your sort of brain network, right? And so you want to know how it works. And so the next step is question. That's the Q part. So in the Q part is where I say, I want you to come up with a research question. And here's how you're going to do it. I want you to identify and name one thing you could change in this system to see if you get a different outcome. So you might say, for example, Brian, I'm going to change the liquid. I don't want to use water. I want to use milk, for example. You might say, I don't want to use cardboard. I want to use uh, I want to use construction paper. You might say, I don't want to use a mason jar. I want to use a beaker. Um, and there's all different kinds of, of, of variables, we call it, or things you can change. And then I, after you've identified what you want to follow, so now think about this. This is actually something that you want to investigate. You want to know if it changes the outcome. And now I say, sure, go for it. That's the I part, the investigate. So now you're investigating the question that you have, not the question I've given you, but the question that you have. After the investigation part is the E in the pokey model, and the E stands for explanation. But the explanation is not going to be the traditional explanation that I give you as a student. The explanation is actually going to be a collaborative discourse and argumentation in the classroom where students are going to be sharing what they found in each of their investigations, what they discovered, what their observations were, what their data was like. And they're going to use all of those findings, those observations and data to collectively create meaning for the phenomena, to collectively understand how did the water stay in the jar when it was upside down. So I'm not giving you that sort of like answer or explanation you're going to figure it out. You're going to do it by conducting investigations, and you're going to do it in a collaborative way at the end through discourse, which is conversation and and communication and argumentation. And so the pokey model is that it's predict, observe, question, investigate, and explain. And uh, and and it's a different approach that we're that we're used to. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm math and English based, definitely because writer, photographer, and I was very good at, not very good at math, but I was better at math than I thought. But science was the thing I was, my weakness. If we had this yeah. model when I, from kindergarten to 12th grade, I can guarantee <laughs> I would have been a more educated scientific student and I would have been better in science and more engaged, no doubt. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. I'm really happy to hear that because I think that's what most people would agree with. Yeah. And, and that's exactly the... That that's one of the really exciting features of this is that it really is an exciting way to learn. It's a it's an it's a way to really engage students. It's a way for them to follow their interest, their creativity, and really dig into science in a meaningful way. And it's it's really exciting. So um, 
and, and so that's the Pokey model. That's what's explained in the book, and that's the strategy that I came up with in, in the doctorate. There is another model, and I want to put that out there. You know, for any educator who might be listening, a science educator, there is a, a an older model, and it's called the Five E model. And the Five E model is sort of like this. And some some educators look at the Five E model and they say, yeah, the Pokey model is the Five E model, but it's really not. There are very distinct features that are different from the Five E model. And, um, and I just want to make sure that that's, that I say that because the, for, first of all, the 5e model is a fantastic, fantastic model of learning, a fantastic strategy, but it is one strategy that should be in a tool in your toolbox. And I'm offering another strategy that goes in the toolbox. And even though it looks like the 5e model, it is very different. What are the biggest differences, I guess, if someone was just listening and, and they want just curious? What would be the biggest oh, difference can, between two models, I guess? The one I can I can give you, there are a few, but I, I'll give you the one that is the biggest difference. So in the 5e model, um, it sort of follows the same path, except here's the one big difference. In the 5e model, all the students are conducting the same investigation. And so in the end, when you're going to have conversation later, Everyone has the same talking points. All the students saw the same thing because they all conducted the same investigation. So they're all talking about the same findings, the same observations. Now, there is value in that because you're confirming, you're confirming the observations with one another. You're confirming and validating those observations, those findings, those, that data. Um, and there is value in that. But the Pokey model that I came up with is entirely different in the sense that you intentionally want all groups in the classroom to be studying a different variable or a different change in the investigation so that when you talk later on, everybody comes to the table with a completely different set of observations, a completely different set of findings, completely different set of data, and everybody has different talking points because you all saw and experienced something different. But the important thing is that you all saw and experienced something different about the same, the same phenomena. So you're looking at the same system, but you're all studying the different feature of that one system. And what happens is in the conversation that follows after the investigations, the discussion is incredibly rich, incredibly powerful, because you can now make connections. See, in the, in, the, in the 5e model, you're not making connections to different variables that were investigated by all different groups. In the 5e model, you're confirming one sort of set of observations that everybody had because everybody followed the same investigation. In the Pokey model, you're making connections between all the different investigations, and it's those connections that are building the meaning, that are building the understanding. So if everybody comes together with something different about the same system, then you're able to build a very, very rich discussion, and you're able as a teacher, as a maestro in the classroom, you're able now, and this is difficult for teachers in the beginning, but you're able to pull from all these different findings and talking points and observations and guide students to make connections between them to build the understanding. Hope that makes sense. But that, that's does, the biggest yeah. difference. Yeah. 
Uh, man, I love it. I, I wish this had been there when I was a kid. I mean, I love it. I love the models. <laughs> I, I, the, so the the biggest to me, the two, right? The five, the five E model sounds to me more like you're not going to get as big of a round table discussion as you will out of the the PQ mo- the model. Uh, the five yeah, E. You- if you're a science, if I was in a science class and everybody was doing the same exact thing, the five E model, I'd be bored halfway through. Yeah, and, and, and I'm going to say again, it's a great model, and I would never dissuade any teacher from using it, but it, it serves its purpose, and there is a purpose for it, but it is very, very different from the Pokey model that I came up with. And, um, and and again, I'm not trying to diminish the 5E because the 5E is huge, and you'll find the 5E model all over the place. So the Pokey model, when I came out with it, um, I was um, approached by a, 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 by a company, and I was approached by um a, a few different entities to really promote it and get it out there and that's what i'm doing now exciting i love it bob you have a question yeah uh so when you're going through each step when you begin at the start of a class and you start each step do you give them more than just one class to absorb all of this information or do you give oh, them yeah. okay because the investigation yeah, they- can take you know it could take from three days to up sure it's a little yeah minutes to three days right? right yeah sure so this is one of the reasons you know and and i present this now at seminars and workshops and that's what i said like i was contacted by certain people to like take us a step further and so i can tell you that i'm taking this a step further be, uh, with with science educators so i currently present seminars workshops and i do consultation work with districts, not only locally, but across the country. So I travel now from the east to the west coast and I work with, um, I work with districts, I work with um, departments, and I work with educators one-on-one. Um, and I deliver seminars, workshops, and really collaborative workshops where I not, I don't, don't just demonstrate how to do this, but um, I collaboratively allow uh, the participants to actually be the student and go through it themselves. And so, yeah, I do seminars and workshops. And as you mentioned, it takes more time. So the reason I brought that up was to talk about the the point you just made, which is the time that it takes. And, you know, we're so used to delivering science in a certain particular way that when science educators learn this new system, um, it's one of the concerns they have is how do I fit all of this in to my school year, which I'm already constrained, have constraints with, you know, they're already working at the end of the school year in May, they're fig- trying to figure out, oh my God, how many weeks and days do I have left to fit my curriculum in? And they're concerned, how do I do this? Um, and the answer is this, the next generation standards is more concerned with depth than breadth. And so there are fewer concepts but the concepts we cover, we go into more depth with. And so because there are fewer concepts, it allows for more time to really to really delve into each of these lessons with students. So, yeah, you're right. Instead of like deliver, delivering a lesson that would take one class period because you're just delivering it straight out to students and asking them to copy things down. Now it takes like three, three lessons, three classes but you're going into it much more deeply. It's much more meaningful to students and you don't have to really worry about it so much because you have fewer concepts to cover. 
So will the standardized testing for science reflect this across the country as they roll this out? That is a fantastic question. This is what this is the big concern right now. So the edu- the the primary concern for educators right now is this is you know everyone I think agrees and I've never heard anyone who has disagreed. Everyone agrees that this is the way we should be teaching. The concern is are we going to be testing or assessing this way at the end of the school year? Because right now there is a there it's not aligned. You know, there's a problem and they're asking us to deliver and teach material in a certain way. And, but they're, but, but where's the assessment going to align with that at the end of the year? So I can tell you that they are currently uh, redesigning the assessments and no one has seen them yet. We don't know uh, what they look like yet, but we're very hopeful that they are going to align with this method of the style of teaching and so those assessments are set to be delivered, um, I want to say grades uh, three, four, five. It's actually going to be, this is encouraging also, the assessments are going to be eventually in every grade and not just in fourth grade and eighth grade and high school. So every grade is going to have an assessment, but it's going to be a meaningful kind of assessment, we hope, not a standardized test, but a meaningful assessment that's going to align with the way students are learning uh, about their the world around them, and the assessment will align with that. We haven't seen it yet, but it's in the works, and so we're all hopeful for that. Is that nationally or state by state? That is, it's actually nationally, um, but state by state is coming up with their own standards and their own assessments. So the New York State, for example, New York State adopted the NGSS, but before they adopted it, they uh, took a very close look at it and they, uh, re- they they opened the conversation up to all science educators in New York State and asked for their feedback on the document. And so New York State made a made a few minor changes to the next generation science standards. So they made these changes, they tweaked it, made some minor modifications, and then they adopted it as the New York State Science Learning Standards. So it's essentially the NGSS uh, as its foundation, and and it really it does it looks exactly like the NGSS with a couple minor modifications, but it's the New York State Science Learning Standards, not the NGSS really. And so now New York State is coming up with their own assessment, their own assessments at the end of the year, their own assessments that will align with their NYSSLS, they call it, the New York State Science Learning Standards. So is that really, if you have a pushback from peers, is it really just about the testing or is it about they're afraid that they can't teach this way? Uh, no, no one, no one feels like they can't teach that way. But, um, you know, I mean, I have all, you know, nobody likes change and change is difficult. And um, especially for maybe seasoned teachers who have done it a certain way and know that it works this way and, you know, and, and why change now? And so it's difficult to really wrap your head initially around why are you asking us to change? And, you know, I've been doing this for so many years. Why are you telling me I'm doing it wrong now? And, you know, that's difficult for any teacher, for any educator. Uh, you know, we educate, we're in education because we care about our students. We care about the learning process and we deliver it a certain way because we feel like that's the way it should be delivered. And so why and how are you telling me to change this now all of a sudden? Um, but once teachers really 
dig into the new standards and really experience what it's like, that's when they start to really accept and adopt it. And I have found in the workshops that I do, and excuse me, and I have done workshops for probably five years now across the country. Even even though I may have a very hesitant and reluctant um, educator in the room, they are completely accepting of all of this by the time they leave that room. And that's because, and I, and I keep saying this to everybody, every time I go to a seminar and a workshop, I'm not going to stand here and tell you about NGSS. I want you to experience it like a student does. And so the way I conduct my seminars and my workshops is I, I come with lessons. And I'm going to deliver it as a teacher in an NGSS classroom, and I want you to be the student in the NGSS classroom. And when you experience it, it's way different than me just telling you about it and talking about it. And that experience just just changes your perception and your philosophy. And 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 that's what I'm seeing across the country. It's really exciting, really encouraging stuff. So um, I'm doing seminars and workshops through um, – the Bureau of Education and Research called BER, and I travel across the country with them. But I also do my own seminars and workshops um, for school districts on my own. So if there's a district out there that's interested, please contact me because I'd be more than happy to talk to um, your department, your district, um, or, or, or your particular grade level. Uh, either way, and, and really show you like what this is all about and, and allow you to experience it. Um, so I am doing those uh, seminars and workshops, um, and I also have <laughs> – this is – so this is the, the next do you ever level. Sleep? Have, do you ever sleep? No, no, I really don't. And, and Brian, I mean, I, I could carry on this conversation for five hours, honestly, because I have my – I'm involved in so much stuff. But it's all connected somehow, you know, and that's why I just, you know, going from one thing to another because it's all connected. So that sort of leads me into this. So uh, Ward's Science – and Ward's Science is locally in Rochester, but they are a worldwide science supplier. Now, there's probably the, the out of the top two science suppliers for educators, Ward's is in the top two, and they just happen to be local here in Rochester. And I've been in that um, building, by the way. I've been in their building. Uh, they were yeah. bought out by another company recently called VW VWR. That's right, VWR. Yeah, so and they, I've been in the uh, building. I've seen the uh, frogs being raised. I've seen. Yeah, uh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, uh, folks, there's a building here in Rochester and Henrietta where there are science experiments being grown and then sent out to school districts for classrooms. It's awesome. It's really cool to be in, and and it's bigger than it looks. Once you get inside there, that place just stretches and sprawls, and there's so much going, so much cool stuff going on inside there. Um, but they are, they are a worldwide, uh, supplier. So when I, when my book came out, um, I sort of hooked up with them and, uh, for the past year and a half now, we've been creating and designing kits, classroom kits. So what they're doing is they're taking, uh, 10 of the lessons that are in my book and they're turning them into fully developed classroom kits. So it's like the lessons in my book on steroids. So it really is like um, I have taken the lessons in my book and I have expanded and developed them into fully developed teacher lessons. So in the kit, if you buy a Ward's kit, which is going to be launching in August, believe it or not, it'll be in the uh, October catalog when it comes out. But the kits are launching in August next month. Um, 
if you get one of the kits, what you're going to get is a full classroom set of uh, materials, equipment to conduct the entire lesson. You're going to get a kit of all the resources and all the variables that students can investigate. For example, if they wanted to test different size beakers, they're in there. If they wanted to test different kinds of fabric, it's in there. If they want to test different kinds of metals, it's in there. Uh, but you're also going to get the teacher resource, which is a manual, which is going to explain how to deliver the lesson. It's going to explain the phenomena behind the lesson. It's going to give you uh, all the information of how it aligns with the NGSS and so much more for the teacher. But then it's also going to give you the student stuff. So it's going to give you the student worksheets, the graphic organizers. It's going to give you everything you need to deliver the lesson, everything in a kit. And there's going to be 10 of those. They are for middle school and they launch in August. I'm really excited about that. That's going to be followed by 10 more for the high school and 10 more for the elementary level. So uh, so please, if you're a science educator, please look for those from Ward's uh, in August and September. And you can't hear the energy in your voice at all or the enthusiasm. You can't. For science. <laughs> yeah. A little exciting, right? Yeah. You hide so, it well. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So, you know, uh, as a scientist, then eight hours of sleep a day, if you don't sleep eight hours a day, it's a carcinogen, right? <laughs> so, so are you at least get your eight hours a day? I want to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm I'm not quite getting eight right now, but I'm working towards that. Maybe we'll see. Okay, so we're about to close the episode, so we have to close up okay. with with we haven't touched base on uh you know cannabis. Obviously, is a big big feel of this, and the reason why we had you on is because I wanted to talk about the next generation science standards. I wanted to talk about your your PQ model, and I wanted to bring that out for people. Pokey model, excuse me. Thank you. A Pokey model. Thank Pokey. you. Yeah, Pokey. And uh, I apologize. I misspeak all the time. So That's okay. Yeah, most people are used to it and razz me every sure. time I do it. Uh, but anyways, so I, I wanted to put this out there because I really think on the cannabis side, uh, now that this is becoming something that's more popular in the country, I want people to be fact-based to jump into this uh, understanding this plant and all the things the plant can do for people. And I believe CBD might help you relax to sleep to get your eight hours, sir, because you need to get that because it's a carcinogen Thank if you, you don't. Like, <laughs> CBD is a way maybe that can you. help you settle down at night. But I'm always I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, obviously, because cause Doc here does, doesn't need the cannabis plant. He's a very uh, energetic guy, and I'm sure he's lean and mean at 5'11". Um, but but please, please take the opportunity to list all the places where people can find you. I want to thank you because I believe creating fact-based society uh, will take away poli- the, some of the nonsense of politics. It'll take away uh, uh, this manipulation stuff that kind of goes on behind the scenes. And it makes no, people agree. really say, these are the facts. This is what it is. And and politicians won't push the scientists out of the room when they're making important decisions like they tend to now. Oh, I agree. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I agree entirely, 100%. Um, and, and it really should be. I mean, as a scientist and as an educator, I really think that people should be informed and should be educated. And your decisions and your actions should be based on the you know research and evidence and information. And so I agree entirely. So please, can you list all the places where people can find you and all the the magic, uh, your your all your endeavors? Please list them out now yep. for everybody. I like to end the show with that. Thank you. I appreciate that. So. Uh, if you want to get my book, it's called Phenomena Driven Inquiry. It's on Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Uh, you can also visit my site, Phenomena Driven Inquiry, if you're interested in any consultation work or if you'd like to uh, bring me to your school district, please go to phenomenadriveninquiry.com and you can uh, you can contact me. 
My email address is vince at discrepantevents.com. You can contact me there. Uh, my magicclubacademy.com website is for after-school magic clubs. Or if you're just simply interested in learning more magic, please feel free to visit that. I'd love to have you as a, as a, uh, as a guest, as a member. Um, so I have those two sites. I also have uh, a, um, work that I'm doing through BER, Bureau of Education and Research. And so you can find me on that site as well if you're interested in having me come to your, to your district. Uh, uh, Ward Science, look for those kits through Ward Science coming in August and September. And finally, Brian, we didn't even get to this one, but uh, by the end of this year, by the end of this year, probably November, December, I'm going to have another site launching, which is called sciencebymagic.com. If you go there right now, right now you're going to see a maintenance page because it's not launched yet. But sciencebymagic.com is going to be uh, an educational place for science educators to learn how to weave magic into the curriculum to teach very specific science concepts. Really cool stuff. So look for that as well. So another couple months, you know, sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But You're listen, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really, I really appreciate it. And I had a great time. Uh, this was a great conversation and, and I appreciate it. Thank you. I don't think you realized, I didn't tell you earlier, my daughter is a teacher. She was a Rochester City School District teacher uh, two years ago. She was out in California as a resource teacher out there. Um, oh, cool. Sci science is not one of her strengths. So it's uh -huh. so funny. I kind of developed this episode for my son-in-law, her husband, because of the magic piece. <laughs> and it turns out that the other side of it, really, my daughter's going to enjoy. So this basically became an episode for my daughter and son-in-law. So oh, that's very cool. Glad to hear that. And Glad right after that. I became and the grandfather from the two of them, it's just sometimes irony in the way things <laughs> fall together, sir. <laughs> That is awesome, and and I and I hope that your listeners uh, uh, found some value and found some interesting things they can take away from this. And really, uh, I I am a, I am a colleague with all science educators, and even if you're not a science educator, you're interested in this and you want to know more about it, please uh, contact me, hook me up, and you know, uh, hit me up, and I'll be more than happy to to have a conversation with you or answer any questions you may have. I'm available. I appreciate so thank that. Thank you. I appreciate yep. that, Vince. And I, and I also want to sure. let you know, I loved, I've already thought in my mind, I want to have another roundtable science episode probably in the, in the next couple of months. Uh, so we'll figure out a time when you're not so busy. We'll bring a couple other maybe science teachers in and we'll kind of talk about uh, education, science, and, and where you guys see things going. I want to have a little roundtable. I hope, I hope you're up for that. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just let me know. I'm happy to, happy to, uh, to have a conversation with you again. Thank you so much again. No, thank you. You have a great day, sir. Okay. And go enjoy your family. Have a good night. Thank, thanks. You too. En enjoy uh, grandfatherhood. <laughs> oh, I don't think I can. Okay. I don't think there's a way I couldn't. <laughs> All right. Bye, bye awesome. everybody. Bye everybody. Enjoy your two weeks. You know, we're going to give you a little break. And when we come back, I promise we'll have some entertaining stuff coming up. I'm hoping to have some people out of Oklahoma soon, folks. We've made some contacts, and, and we're going to bring some people on from the medical marijuana industry in Oklahoma. So that's going to be coming up in the next couple episodes. So, so be aware, everybody. Thanks, Brian. And thanks to all your listeners. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>